Welcome to Ordinary Fellowship, a podcast inspired by the Puritan practice of godly conference or spiritual conversations among believers. These spiritual conversations offer practical spiritual help for Christian living. I'm Jeremy Lee, and with me is Matthew McLaughlin, as always. Hey, Jeremy. You got anything goofy up your sleeve today? I thought you were the goofy one. Oh, well, I don't have anything goofy planned today. Well, that's good um, to know. I usually have some like trick that you're going to pull or something, but I'm too lazy, I guess. You're all out of tricks. Yes. So anyway, today we have with us a guest. Not He's not really special, but a guest. Tim Scott is a friend of mine from college. He graduated a year or so before I did. Uh, we've been friends for a long time. He's a pastor of uh, First Baptist Church in Independence, Kentucky. He's been married to Diane for how long, Tim? Uh, almost 17 years. And he has three children, Samuel, Branson, and Norma. How long have you been pastoring in Independence, Tim? Uh, so full-time, uh, coming up on like on the early part of June, it'll be like uh, a year um, for full-time. And then prior to that, I was uh, the interim pastor for pulpit supply interim pastor for about a year. So almost two years. Okay. Glad you could join us today. And you are a special guest. Oh. <laughs> today, the topic we're going to look at and Tim's going to help us with is spiritual warfare. So Tim, what is spiritual warfare anyway? So spiritual warfare, um, I think um, just biblically defined is understanding that um, we live um, in, there are two different realms, the realm of the seen, the realm of the unseen. And um, there, is, there is warfare that is going on behind the scenes and is um, brought more broadly defined, I think, more than just demons, you know, more than just the ideas of angels and demons, but the idea of that we are warring against the world and the flesh and the devil. And so, um, you know, a lot of times people get honed in on just the idea of, you know, demons and angels, but spiritual warfare encompasses so much more than that. Because, I mean, as John says in First John, you know, that, that's our battle, you know, our battle and, and truthfully, far more than, than demons. And I'm not downplaying their reality, but I don't need a demon to tempt me. I mean, my flesh does that well enough. Right. If all if all the demons and the devil disappeared tomorrow, we would still sin. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's who we are inherently, right? We're yeah. uh, apart from Christ, we're totally depraved, and even in Christ, right, we're still warring against our flesh and um, sanctus, what we call sanctification. So, yeah, spiritual warfare then is is just living with the reality of the fact that we are um, being sanctified, uh, you know, through you know through this journey in life in various forms. Right. Of course, Christians. We don't agree. We have a lot of skirmishes about a lot of things, and this is one of those areas. So if you go into your local Christian bookstore, you'll there will be a lot of books on spiritual warfare, but probably a lot of them a wise and discerning Christian will avoid. And it's because there's two basic views of spiritual warfare. Yeah. Called One's called generally called the discipleship model. And the other is called deliverance model. Can you help us to understand 
those positions and what the differences are? Yeah. So deliverance model, when you think deliverance model, you should probably think influenced by guys like Neil T. Anderson. Neil T. Anderson really popularized this idea um, and has really become has really picked up steam or kept picking up steam after, uh, and he wasn't the first, but he was the first real proponent of it that picked up a lot of steam back in the nineties, eighties and nineties, but, and really has, has carried on through like NAR, the NAR, uh, new apostolic reformation, uh, this idea that, you know, basically if you're having troubles or if you're having issues, it could be because of some curse that your family had inadvertently allowed into their life, or there's some demon that, that, that has been oppressing your family and you need to find the right prayer or the right affirmation to rebuke that. And so that you can escape these family curses. Truthfully, there is a lot wrong with that. Well, I know one of the things that they have to do is like you have to dig back into your ancestry because if somebody hundreds of years ago was involved in witchcraft, that supposedly puts a curse on you and your family. So part of spiritual warfare is digging those things up and discovering them. And I don't know what the ritual, what the prescription is to get rid of those curses, but I I know it involves digging it up and finding it. And you may not even know about it, but then you get some kind of oppression in your life and you have yeah. to dig and find, That's discover right. these things in order to be delivered. So in reality, you you know, in order to do that, you better have better genealogy than the Mormons. <laughs> well, maybe they can help. <laughs> to, to answer your other question about discipleship, what is it, um, the understanding of spiritual warfare in the, in the uh, reality of discipleship? Discipleship understands that... Again, we exist and we live on a uh, in two realities. We live with the seen realm and the unseen realm, uh, and we honestly would, would call that um, just living with uh, again the the temptations of the world, the flesh, and the devil. And discipleship seeks to you know um, seeks to drive us to the Word and the work of the Spirit through the Word, right? Because I think we would all agree that the Spirit never works apart from the Word. Um, so the the Spirit of God working in the Word of God. Um, to bring about sanctification in our lives, victory, I guess, if you will, in our lives over temptations or sins. It is much more, it is much more God-centered. The discipleship model is much more God-centered because instead of you having to go back and find what you or a family member uh, or somebody did to you or you were involved in or your family was involved in, instead, discipleship says, look, I may not be able to change the past. I can't, obviously, right? But it's not about that anyways. It, you know, I'm a new creation in Christ, uh, and, and I'm still struggling with these sins, perhaps, and these temptations. But in the end, the, the answer is, is to be in the Word, entrenched in the Word, entrenched in the means of grace. And, and, and really, I would say this. This is why the local church is even more important than we often, than a lot of people often give, give it credit for, is because that through, through things like not just being in the Word, because, I mean, we could, you know, we are so entrenched with this Lone Ranger type of mentality with Christianity right now that we need one another. And that, that needs to really be restored. Hopefully, COVID really brought some of that out with the need to gather. Um, and so things like the, the Lord's Supper, the things like singing together, right? Paul tells us to sing to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. 
And, and there is just an, there is edification and sanctification that comes as I hear my brothers and sisters singing songs and, you know, encouragement and, and I'm seeing them, you know, have victory in their lives through, through the work of Christ in, in their lives. And, and it spurs me on, right. And going back to um, Hebrews 10, um, you know, that we're to spur one another on, right. To, uh, to, for our gathering purposes in our gathering purposes. And, and that's to produce these, this greater work of, of sanctification and edification in our lives. So the discipleship model then is, you know, and it sees all of the Christian life as, as a, a battleground. So when we enter into worship, uh, we recognize that we're entering into warfare. When we're, when we're partaking of the Lord's Supper, there's, there is obviously as, um, you know, as um, Reformed Baptists, you know, we're going to say that it's more than just a memorial meal. There's real means of grace going on there as Christ is ministering to us. Um, and so from singing to taking the Lord's Supper to, you know, just, just being with fellow fellowshipping with brothers and sisters to being in the word, listening to, to expositional sermons, you know, all of this is going to, is helpful to me. And it, it's focused upon Christ. It's focused upon God rather than me. And what you're describing, it sounds like, the discipleship model is the normal Christian life where the deliverance model focuses on supernatural uh, means, Mm -hmm. uh, unusual beyond the normal means to accomplish a victory in spiritual warfare. Yeah. So the discipleship model is just increasing in godliness, uh, using the means of grace, the word uh, prayer, Christian worship and things like that. Um, And and the deliverance model also focuses, I mean, that's where you'll find people who are doing exorcisms. Yeah. And, and whenever there's a struggle, it's this, it's a spirit that's behind that. So if you're struggling with alcohol, you have a spirit of alcohol oppressing you and you need to rebuke that demon. Yeah, and, and in a lot of these in a lot of these types of ministries, what you'll find is you'll find that they have to find the right demon's name uh, in order to be able to cast it out. Um, like you you can't just you know they, and so they they so a lot of times you'll you'll hear people um, in these deliverance ministries asking demons what is your name because they they need that. I mean, it's some kind of, uh, I, I hesitate to call it hocus pocus, but that really is what it is. It's, it's some kind of silly hocus pocus that they think that they have to have the right name, this demon in order to cast it out. Plus you'll find a lot of these deliverance ministries, a lot of them uh, believe that Christians can be possessed as well. And I think there's a large section of them that actually believe that they're, um, that, that Christians can be possessed and therefore they spend an inordinate amount of time focusing on that, trying to cast out, like you said, you know, if I'm a, if I'm a believer in Christ and I, I'm struggling with alcohol or pornography or whatever, well, I've got to find that demon that's entrenched in there somewhere and I've got to find its name. And then I've got to be able to cast it out versus the discipleship model, which says, no, there's a real war going on um, and you need Christ, but Hey, um, it's not going to come from finding that demon's right name and then casting it out. It's going to come from you getting to the root of your sin and put, as John Owen would say, putting that sin to death. And more importantly, I guess what he drew that from Paul, but, but yeah, I mean, putting that sin to death. Well, and one of the problems I see with, with this kind of deliverance ministry is it shifts the blame 
from you having to deal with your sin to some demon who's almost, I don't think they would say this to be fair, but almost the devil made me do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, I mean, uh, they, they may never say that, but, but that is the reality of what you're looking at or, or what you're faced with. As you read these guys, as you, as you hear them talk, I mean, it's always about, there's no culpability on the person's account. It's like, you know, well, you know, you're a victim and it really does feed into the larger culture's victim mindset at this point. But I mean, it it really is a victim mentality. Yeah. So we're advocating the discipleship model of spiritual warfare. We're looking to grow in godliness using the means of grace and in that manner, we believe we'll overcome demonic temptations and all those kind of things. Yeah. But one of the assumptions we're making is that there is an unseen realm, that yeah. there are angels and demons, and <laughs> uh, that's not always welcome. I, well, let's put it this way. there's In our culture, even among Christians, there are people who are almost dismissive of there being any devil and demons. And then you you run to the other side of the extreme that the devil and the demons are behind everything that's going on. Yeah. So, I, and, you know, th- the funny thing is that if you look at not all the Puritans, but most of the Puritans, and this is really um, bears this out of what you're talking about. So in Owen's work, right, in his volumes of work, outside of addressing the reality of the demonic realm in, in a, um, uh, say in the gospels or something like that, just acknowledging that they're real. He doesn't deal with it at all. Uh, he does, he doesn't, he never gives any time to uh, spiritual warfare, uh, to demonic activity, to angelic activity, to, to that kind of, of thing. Uh, I, I would say it's interesting that, that Calvin himself only, put uh, seven, I think it was like 30 some pages. And of that 30 some pages, seven, I think it was 17 or, or something around there that he dealt with that we, he actually dealt with Satan and demons and that, that unseen realm. Uh, now, I mean, to be sure, I mean, I mean, obviously there were other Puritans um, and reformers who dealt with them. I mean, Luther would probably have gone in the other direction of Calvin. Um, you know, I mean, you know, the, the old story uh, of uh, Luther throwing the inkwell against the wall, you know, trying to hit the devil with it. Uh, but I mean, by and large, within the ref- more reformed Baptist and, and reformed community, as a matter of fact, I, I was um, I, and I don't remember who, who it was I was reading. But one of the one of the systematic theology books that I was reading recently on this topic, he outright denied that angels and demons are even active today. Um, and so um, that, that the spirit did away with the angelic, with the need for angelic ministry and that the demons have been bound and they're sitting waiting for judgment. So, um, you know, so I, I mean, but that's one extreme. And then you go to the other extreme, like you said, you know, of uh, there's a demon behind everything. You know, I, I get into a car crash. It was a demon. You know, my car didn't start. There was a demon, you know, I, I yeah. You know, without without exposing any secret yeah. relative things, I mean, I had a I have a relative who believes that if his car won't start, he needed to cast the demon out of it. So, I mean, it's it's crazy what what yeah. you can get into. COVID COVID nineteen is just a bad spirit, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, didn't uh, Kenneth Copeland get rid of that for us? Right? <laughs> Blew it away, poof. 
<laughs> Speaking of deliverance models, Kenneth Copeland would be uh, the poster boy. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> what we're saying is that there is a unseen realm. There are activities uh, among angels and demons, things that are going on beyond our ability to see that actually have influence and impact in our world. And this results in the spiritual battle that we're facing. One of the classic texts about spiritual warfare is Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 12. If you hear a discussion about spiritual warfare, this is always brought up uh, because it's a vital one. Ephesians 6, 10 through 12. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. All right. So, uh, Tim, in about five minutes, <laughs> can you explain to us how this pa- what this passage teaches us about spiritual warfare? Well, isn't it, isn't it interesting that Paul doesn't have to introduce this other than to say that it's a reality? So we know that even prior to, to this, this is an assumption uh, that, is, that Paul is making that they already know this, that the believers in Ephesus already know this. This is a reality that they already know. He's, he's explaining it a bit more in detail, but, but he's not saying, oh, hey, guys, by the way, there is this thing called... Uh, the satanic realm or the forces of darkness, uh, cosmic powers, right? No, he, he says, oh, hey, you know, we are engaged in this warfare and this is what it looks like and this is who it is against, but um, he, he doesn't have to introduce it in any way. Um, and so, so in reality, I mean, Paul is, Paul is reminding us that even in our post-modern viewpoints of things, uh, you know, in our day and time, hey, Science doesn't have all the answers. There are things going on uh, that we don't fully understand. We don't see uh, necessarily right, uh, you know, with our eyes, but um, is a reality nonetheless going on. And I think that Paul is is very clear that na- by naming, and I do find it interesting that he does he does spend time naming the types of, of things that that are that we are battling against. You know, ultimately just ending with cosmic powers, right? Uh, I think it's the ESV's uh, rendering of that. Um, mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, I mean, you know, if you're reading from you know another translation, you know, it may say something a little different. But but still, uh, I mean, that the idea is here. Um, you know, the, the rulers of, of, of this dark age are are this dark world. I mean, they're a reality, whether we want to admit it or not. And truthfully, Scripture from the very beginning assumes a supernatural worldview as early as. Genesis 3, we're introduced to this thing called the serpent um, that we quickly find out is more than a, more than a serpent, um, more, than, more than what we think of when we think of serpents. And so, and then all of a sudden we're introduced at the end of Genesis or 3 with, with the fall of Adam and Eve to, this, to these things called cherubim. Like where, where did they come from? You know, um, and yet uh, we're introduced very clearly that there is another reality for us in which, um, you know, that, that we exist uh, different plane, different planes upon uh, of existence in, the, in our universe, in our world. So, yeah, I mean, I would just say that uh, that Paul is Paul is very clear that 
Um, you know, we are not fighting against flesh and blood. We're, we are fighting. We are fighting. There's a reality. We are fighting an, an unseen enemy um, that does manifest himself in seen ways um, through, you know, temptations or, you know, even behind government leaders, you know, in their, their positions, their of power. And, and we, we cannot forget that throughout like Psalms, um, and this is the, uh, the worldview Paul is drawing from, even throughout Psalms, the idols are constantly called lowercase g gods, not because they are gods, but because there's real power behind these idols, the idols of the nations. And Paul even says in 1 Corinthians that ultimately what they're worshiping is demons. Um, but there is still real power, real spiritual power behind these idols that, that are masquerading as, as gods. And so there is real power. And Paul is drawing from, from this reality. And he's saying, look, guys, we're not, we're not fighting against, against ultimately against people or against uh, governments or anything like that. We're, we're ultimately fighting against an enemy who is doing everything he can to stop the spread of the gospel, to stop our sanctification, um, who's trying to, to resist the work of God in the world. So I, I think that I hopefully answered your question. Yeah, I think so. And I, I just want to say when it says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, it's not saying that there is no physical battle going on. Right. It's saying that there's a, there's a greater battle going on behind the, any physical battle that we're fighting. Right, because so that ultimately it's not with the person that, but there's something else going on. Right, because I mean, Paul Paul spends uh, the previous chapters talking about not about putting on the new man to take off the old man, you know, to not be drunk, um, you know, and uh, with wine, which is um, you know debauchery or dissipation. You know, King James, I think, says, but um, you know, so so he is. I mean, he spends a lot of time talking about our walk that we are new in Christ, but. And then right after the, the husband and wife passage in chapter five and then children in the early part of chapter six and then masters and slaves and, and all of that, then that's when he directly goes into this. Like, so we are to do all this. We are, we are to be pressing forward in sanctification. Um, I think as, as Paul clearly lays out in the first five chapters of, of Ephesians, you know, even in chapter four, you know, he says, we're to walk worthy of the calling. But he does go, then he does at the very end say, okay, so while we are engaged in real warfare on, in our own, like I said, the flesh um, and, and the world is, is, you know, seeking to ensnare us, there is a broader battle that is taking place that we need to be at least aware of um, so that we can, as he says, we need to be aware of the schemes of the devil. So, um, you know, because truthfully, I mean, the devil uses uh, the probably more than anything, the flesh and the world to to seek to entrap us. Right. Matthew, you, you want to read the next part of that where it talks about our our weapons um, from yeah. 13 to 18. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. 
praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. So the passage we just discussed introduces the idea of what's going on behind the scenes, the spiritual battle in the unseen realm. And this passage seems to introduce us to uh, some of the weapons of our warfare. So, Tim, you want to help us to understand these weapons and how we're how we're to use them to, with God's help, win the day? Yeah, so I would say that uh, it is interesting. Obviously, the, the weapon of um, offense, one is the, you know, obviously is the word of God, right? We're to take up, we're to wield it well. Uh, and then he also goes on, and he'll mention prayer at the very end of, of, the, of the chapter, reminding us, right, that, that again, um, the work of the spirit through, through the word and through prayer is offensively our, our weapons against temptation and sin. And I would say that's, that's ultimately why memorization of scripture, being saturated in scripture, um, you know, reading scripture very regularly is very important. Even being in a church that uh, emphasizes expositional preaching, verse by verse preaching of, of the word of God is, is very important. But it is interesting that he does say, uh, to put to put these things on, he does, uh, and he talks about things like the helmet of salvation, uh, and he does talk about um, you know the breastplate of righteousness, uh, and he does talk about the belt of truth. Uh, you know, he talks about uh, having our feet prepared to preach the gospel and the shield of faith. You know, e- each and every one of these build off of one another. Each and every one of these build from. They build our our defensive posture, our ability to be able to withstand. Uh, and, and notice that that this armor isn't, it's not something that, that you and I have created. This is something given to us by God. It's something that God blesses us with, but we are supposed to. And I think largely building off of what Paul has said in the first five chapters of Ephesians, he, he is arguing, look, if, if this is, you know, if, if you and I are going to win the day, as you said, if we are going to grow in our sanctification, if we are going to be if we're going to be blessed with growing in holiness and in purity and in righteousness, I mean, we can't do this in and of ourselves. And so we need to realize who we are in, in Christ and that Christ has given us weapons to be used defensively and offensively, right? Putting on the uh, Christ righteousness, the, the breastplate of righteousness, you know, to protect all of our vital organs of faith. You know, that's what the shield, what the what the breastplate was for was to protect the, the vital organs. I'm sure you've probably even heard sermons about, you know, how there, there was no backing on, there was no back plate for the to this breastplate. It was only front. So you know it wasn't going to protect you if you were running away. It was only going to protect you if you're facing forward and fighting. And, and I think truthfully that that again that this righteousness that that's ours that's given in Christ, right? That um, you know we need to we need to face the reality uh, in in obviously in His righteousness, knowing that we are His, we belong to Him, and that um, you know we are going to you know we we have to be active in our in our walk with Christ, in our work for Christ. I would say we have to you know these things are, are given to us as a blessing. As a matter of fact, Paul would go on in Second Corinthians ten. And he would talk about that our we- the weapons of our warfare um, are not according to this world, but they're mighty in Christ. Uh, and so <clears throat> they're for the pulling down of strongholds. Um, so what, what does he mean by that, right? You know, well, he goes on to explain that it's so that he can cast down every lofty thought that's, that exalts itself against the knowledge of Christ. And so the purpose of these, the, the purpose of these weapons 
are not necessarily even individually, because we've got to remember Ephesians is written to the church itself, right? It's written to a local church. And while it has implication for individual believers, ultimately, this is in reference to the church at Ephesus of what they are called to do as a local congregation, as a group of believers. We are called um, to stand uh, in a culture that is not, uh, that is not, that they certainly existed in that was not friendly to Christianity, uh, to the truth of the gospel. And, you know, we stand in a much more friendly um, culture to Christianity. But yet, I mean, even now, you know, we know that, you know, not everybody's friendly to Christianity. Not everybody's, you know, like, oh, yeah, hooray for, for Jesus. And so we, we are faced with opposition. And, and that opposition is to oppose the knowledge of Christ. And then we use this warfare. And that's what Paul says, these weapons. What's the purpose of them? Ultimately, it is to, to have our feet prepared with the gospel, right? So that, in other words, preaching Jesus, preaching the gospel, we are called to, to be prepared to, to be able to, wherever we go, wherever we advance towards, to be able to preach, preach the gospel. And I know a lot of people, that's not very fun anymore, right? Nobody wants, to, nobody wants to talk about that the gospel is enough, right? We all want to get into all kinds of silly games, but, but the Bible says the gospel is enough, the gospel is enough for overcoming strongholds. And, you know, I, I mean, I know today is the is the 100th anniversary of, of the Tulsa riots that destroyed, uh, you know, the, uh, um, the the black neighborhood there it was called, I think it was called Black Wall Street uh, in Tulsa. Uh, but but truthfully, the gospel is enough to overcome racism. It's over. It's enough to overcome sexism. The gospel is enough to overcome bigotry and, and all kinds of, of these things. But it has to be we have to understand that that all our purposes in all of this is is not just for our sanctification, but it's also to advance the gospel everywhere we go. All right. Well, I appreciate you joining us this week to discuss these matters. So we thank you for listening to this episode of Ordinary Fellowship, a podcast ministry of Two Rivers Community Church. For more information about Two Rivers, you can find it on our website at www.tworiverscc.org. We look forward to your questions, your comments, and even that dreaded hate mail at ordinaryfellowship at gmail.com. Please follow us on Facebook at Ordinary Fellowship and rate us on whatever podcast app you choose to listen to us on. But for now, we thank you for listening to this episode of Ordinary Fellowship, where we strive to have spiritual conversations for practical Christian living.